Hi, Kuya. I really liked how we talked last episode about intersectionality and the need to put front and center those voices who are most marginalized. Yeah, I enjoyed that discussion as well. Centering the most marginalized voices fits into that idea of being an ally. Centering such voices are demonstrations of trying to be an ally, for sure. Last year, there was so much commentary on being an ally and our discussion on how allyship is more than just being like a slacktivist. Yes, I remember when you brought that to my attention. I love that you brought that to our attention. (laughs) Ally, of course, is more of a verb than a noun and less of a destination and more of a journey. This year, I've thought about how much better to support those experiencing social injustice and focus on understanding privilege and how oppression works. I've also worked hard to deeply listen to those who I might have not heard before and educate myself. And what else can we do? Ooh, I've got a couple of ideas, actually. Oh, well, you know what? I think we should talk about it in the next episode. For sure. Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. So Sigs, practicing allyship means more than just liking and being a clicktivist or a slacktivist on Instagram <laughs> or Twitter or, or whatever platform there is. It means actually making a constant commitment to fighting social injustice. It means continually practicing listening to each other constantly and listening to how others are oppressed and learning for ourselves without depending on the person that's being oppressed for that learning. So how do we continually build this practice and what else can we do to support those that experience social injustice? I believe that there's actually two important things to do. When one wishes to continually support others, and I just want to say continually, right? And it's kind Mm -hmm. of what I spoke about at the beginning of all of this, which is it's more of a journey as opposed to a destination. That means you're constantly on this journey. You're constantly supporting others. And to be on this lifelong journey means we need to do two things. One, adopt cultural humility, and two, engage in activism self-care. And I think both are really important. Do you know anything about cultural humility? Not in the same sentence. I understand cultural. I understand what it means to be humility. So how does that tie together? Cultural humility, before we can actually even talk about that, we need to kind of talk about cultural competence, which is actually an old idea that has become stale over time. There's been a lot of discussion or worry about being culturally competent or aware or woke, as some people would say. But <laughs> I to say that. <laughs> yeah, but cultural competence is really concerned about being knowledgeable okay. when really being an ally is more than just learning and being knowledgeable about a subject or an exercising of knowing how others are oppressed and telling others about that. Instead, or rather, I would say allies need to adopt cultural humility as a purposeful stance that really promotes reflection, introspection, and constant learning. 
people, if they're too busy thinking about how they're going to be competent, they run the risk of trying to know everything. And I will just remember what my mother reminds me of. Like, no one likes to know it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kuya, does it tie in what we had said in a previous episode that it's tied to fear? Like, this is a constant learning process and no one's perfect, like you said before, right? Like, we may make mistakes. Totally. It does have, it does relate to this idea of speaking up. Sometimes people won't speak up because they have to be culturally competent. And I would say, no, you can speak up so long as you have some cultural humility is what I would say. And so it really means kind of taking the stance that, yeah, it's okay that I don't know everything. It really is okay. And that takes a bit of vulnerability. And believe it or not, if you adopt a stance of cultural humility, it mitigates things like, again, the model minority myths or white fragility or other types of oppression that prevent us from actually having the conversation, like a true conversation of dismantling oppression. I would also say, too, that cultural humility prevents us from feeling shame and reminds us to focus on those experiencing injustice. A good example of that is the white fragility. Like people feel white fragility or our white colleagues or friends might feel that fragility. And then in the end, we end up having to take care of them and their white fragility as opposed (laughs) to talking about the injustice. But if those individuals were able to adopt a culturally humble stance or position, even though the shame and feeling bad might be brought up, you know, they can still be focused on the other person that's experiencing the injustice. And then the other thing that I want to say about cultural humility, and then I want to hear some of your thoughts that might be kind of bubbling here at the surface, is, is that cultural humility can keep our privilege in check. And I think that that's the most important thing about this kind of concept of when we are talking about subjects of oppression and social injustice, we do, it is our responsibility to keep our privilege in check. And a good way to do that is to just approach these discussions in a culturally humble way. I like that we use some terms there about being, it's okay to be vulnerable. Like this is, I don't want to say icky, but it's those uncomfortable parts. And I think of Jose Antonio Vargas and he did some specials and he said, hey, let's get uncomfortable. Yes. And that's, he just put it out there. And once you put it out there, you're like, it's okay because you're trying to create that space. I'm like, it's uncomfortable, but we want to work through it. There's no avoiding. And I like you said that we're not trying to avoid it. We're trying to figure out how to, to deal with it and acknowledge. Introducing this term cultural humility, I think that gives me a bit of a light bulb. Like, oh, okay, all right. Like this is constant. It's ongoing and it will keep pr- privilege in check. That's really good points there. Yeah, because... These conversations, speaking up, speaking out, talking about social injustice, talking about oppression, what that ends up doing is is, is that it promotes tough conversations and they're not easy to have. And (laughs) when we experience difficulties, people become defensive. And once we get defensive, then the conversation stops. Stops. I was about to say, yeah, it doesn't go well from there. It doesn't go well. But I think what helps it go well is if we all took a stance of cultural humility, we would be less defensive in these conversations, despite how yucky and icky they may be. There's no such thing as an easy discussion on social injustice. That doesn't exist. But I do think that cultural humility prevents us from being defensive when we're in these discussions. 
and creates a better chance of having actually authentic conversations and conversations for change. The other thing to note about all of this is that, as I had said earlier, these discussions are hard, like they're really hard, and that these are ongoing, lifelong discussions. Like, so we're talking about it today in 2021. Sigs, I have no doubt that in 2050, we're going to be talking about it, right? That's not to say that, you know, I don't think social change and social justice will occur. It just means that there's a lot of work to be done and that we have to continually be talking about that. But because it's a lifelong journey, we have to take care of ourselves along the way. We have to kind of refuel. What I would also say in terms of trying to be an ally, it's important to engage in activist self-care. When we talk about these things, they're not only just tough conversation. When we talk about social injustices, it also means being witness to vicarious oppression, abuse, or trauma. First episode of this four-part collection talked about indignation, which is, again, witnessing the mistreatment of others. And so when you do see a lot of that, it is indeed taxing. And so it is important to take care of yourself. But taking care of yourself can sometimes feel like this foo-foo process of like, oh, I'm going to draw myself a bubble bath or something like that. Self-care is not about drawing a bubble bath or Mm -hmm. necessarily writing in your journal. Although I'm sure all of those things can be ways of taking care of yourself. They're not the only ways of taking care of yourself. And I really think activist self-care is really about finding a balance in your life. And I think we have to ask really important questions like, am I sleeping enough? Am I working enough? Mm -hmm. Am I playing enough? Am I exercising enough? Am I eating enough? Am I spending enough time with family? And I'm spending enough time with friends? Am I spending enough time with my partner and or kids? What's the operative word in all those questions, Sigs? I can see it on the page. I can just see the word enough. Yeah. The operative word is doing enough. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in your life, you may need to do more of one thing than another. But in the grand scheme of things, everything works out over a period of time. So sometimes you'll have to do a little bit more work. And then sometimes you'll have to, you'll end up making up for that down the road on a vacation where, you know, you do take a lot of good time. But at the end of it all, it works out but you need to be doing enough of everything. So is, I don't know if there was anything that you wanted to add to that in terms of what I've just kind of listed there in terms of how to figure out what to do to take care of yourself. I think you bring up like a lot of really good points. And listeners, if, you, if you're following social media, and I, I'm just using examples that Jez and I have mentioned previously or whatever, I, I follow some people that we've been linked through through our podcast And they're activists and they do a lot of self-care and they really, they share their self-care. You know what? Sometimes they say, you know, it was a heavy day seeing things happen, taking time out for sleep or they're mentioning, you know what? I'm going to take a nice walk today or a hike and getting outside for exercise or they post to me, you know what? We've seen a lot of bad stuff going on. Let's focus on something happy and people sharing happy stories or, you know, showing that they're spending time with their family or sometimes it's just, I'm I'm signing off for a couple days on social media and just stepping away from it. Yeah. And so sometimes mm -hmm. stepping away from social media is giving you enough time to do something else. That's right. And doesn't mean that you are taking a vacation. It just means that you haven't done enough of something else and that you want to give yourself enough time. Mm -hmm. So 
in terms of like one part of self-care, it means doing enough of everything that will help you take care of yourself at the end of the day. Whether it's like spending time with yourself or with others or doing all of those important basic life things that that's important to do. The other way to find balance and to achieve self-care is also being able to work at being interesting. (laughs) So what does that mean? And what I like to say, which will eventually also be the fixing of the week for this particular episode, is is that interesting people pursue their interests. If you don't do interesting things, or if you do interesting things, you'll have interesting things to talk about with others, which of course maintain relationships. So I would say it's really important to pursue the things that you love to do, whether it's like deciding this week you're going to binge on a Netflix show or learn a craft or develop a craft or pursue a sport or a hobby or whatever the case may be. The pursuit of interesting things allows us also to problem solve and adapt a different perspective or adopt a different perspective. And so... I know you know this, our listeners might not know this, is this is that, as you know, I do a lot of sewing. And sometimes right. when I have problems at work, let's say, sometimes I find the solutions by sewing. And so <laughs> sometimes the angle of the way that I'm sewing a pattern together needs a particular speed. And then it makes me realize, oh, I got to think about pacing at work so that I can overcome whatever problem I'm dealing with at work. It's amazing how sometimes pursuing these interesting things not only makes us interesting and allows us to converse and talk to other people and maintain relationships with them, but they give us solutions for unrelated things that we might be trying to solve within that moment of time. Sigs, what interesting things, what interests do you pursue? I think aside from the obvious that what we're doing right now from the podcast and being creative, you know what, lately, I've just really, during this pandemic, I've just taken time with my kids and I do something that I played with when I was a little kid. Like, we play Lego. My children mm, and I play Lego all yeah. the time. And whether it's recreate, Delaney would be like, I want to make like a bunk bed, like with a slide. And we just create these different things. I like seeing their process. And I've told you I have like Lego collections. I have a mm-hmm. bunch of Marvel Lego. Yes. And then I got Emily hooked. So she has... <laughs> she has the friend set Lego. I oh, got I love her it. The White House. I got her Big Ben, and she's wow. into it too. So it's just building, and I really like how, and even Mac is right into it. They're just trying to build and create these little new places, not just the ones that you know that we bought. Like she got, I think Delaney got like a panda rescue thing, but we just made a bit more. We made a whole playground, and it just I like my kids just to like sort of fuel that creative, and sometimes too, breaking things down and building things up gives you new perspective. Just like you said with sewing, you know, it just makes me think, okay, I can fix this or I can find simple ways around to achieve. That's just one of the many interests I'm into. So two things. One is this is that I think Emily needs to get Lego for Buckingham Palace. And I would love I to agree. see that. I so I, if you ever do that or she gets to do that, I'd like to see pictures of it. Two, okay. yeah, it never ceases to amaze me that when you are pursuing these things that they somehow help you solve other things along the way, right? I agree, yeah. And then there is a third point that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe what needs to be added to this question or maybe what what you and Emily and the kids need to ask is, am I building enough or am I creating enough? And 
if the answer is no, then it's like it's time to build something, right? It's that's time exactly to build something. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's correct. Or we'll just be broke because uh, <laughs> I get I get Lego VIP pamphlets in the mail and emails. Oh from like, we have this new Lego set. I'm like, okay, I'm all for it. But oh my no, gosh, it, it gives you different perspective, Kuya. Absolutely, when you have yeah. different interests. Well, I hope post pandemic you guys get to go to Legoland of some sorts. I've been to the one in California, but I hope you guys get to go to Legoland. Oh my god, whether Fingers it be Florida crossed. or the, like the huge one. <laughs> I, I think you know the last thing that I. I want to just say about self-care, which helps us stay on this road to being allies, because it is a tough road sometimes. Trying to be an ally to those that are experiencing social injustice is that looking to the Filipino community as a whole, how does it deal with self-care? And I think we can learn from our own community where our culture is really focused on the question of, are you having enough fun and are you eating enough? How many times do we get home to our parents' place and they say, Anuk, have you eaten? Have you eaten? Here, That's let's like the eat. first sentence. It's the first sentence. They okay, say, have you eaten get. enough? So I would say remember that. But I think like what we had talked about in, a, in an episode, I think back in season one, it's more fun in the Philippines. I think that that's a great <gasps> question in terms of self-care is like, are you having enough fun and where can you find it? That kind of brings us to the fixing of the week, which is interesting people pursue their interests. So, listeners, what interests have you not pursued in a long time? And is there a way to pursue it during this pandemic? Because I think that that'll not just only help your mental health, but help us stay on this road to being allies for people that have experienced social injustice. Anything to add, Sigs, before you take us out? No, I think I'll take us out. And folks, you've listened to the four parts this month, this February, of our social injustice um, chapters of the Hollow Hollow podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of these four episodes. You can email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle's at hollowhollowpop. And we're on Instagram at hollowhollowpopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chell Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again soon. See you guys in March.